What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, how you doing, man? You know, man, we watched the Emmys last night, live, live programming, very rare these days, but I think overall we did pretty well in our predictions last week. I feel pretty good. Yeah, and if you didn't check out those predictions, we would suggest going to our YouTube YouTube page, uh, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Is it just nostalgia? Nostalgia pod, you got it. Nostalgia, pet, like nostalgia pad. Um, yeah, and uh, give that a, a listen, because we laid out all the different scenarios that we thought might go down, including Fleabag coming through with as the big winner in the comedy mm-hmm. uh, categories last night. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge winning the writing award, as right. you predicted, and then also winning the Best Actress and Best Comedy Award, taking down Julia Louis-Dreyfus for Veep, and, and Veep in obviously the, the main category. Right. I think a lot of people were surprised, but, I mean, Fleabag, the attention it's gotten critically has been trending towards it getting some sort of acclaim. Which is why we came to the conclusion that if, if anything was going to take Veep down, it had to be this. Um, how, did, how did you feel about Fleabag getting, getting those awards and maybe some other thoughts about the comedy category? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I feel great because we both love the show. It's actually nice to see the best uh, piece of art actually win mm-hmm. uh, in the <laughs> moment. Uh, we talk, no matter what award show it is, that often is not the case or things are rewarded. Uh, years later, seasons later, we've we've gotten to this before, but that the flea bag um, is actually here in its second season and then wins so big, it's awesome to see it, especially considering there might not be much more flea bag, if any. Um, I know early early on with Tony Shalhoub and Alex Borstein both winning again for uh, Marvel's Mrs. Maisel, or Shalhoub uh, winning, I think, his fourth Emmy overall. Um, early bellwether oh is Maisel gonna win best comedy once again uh it turned out not to be true because yeah Fleabag started winning all the down ballot stuff and yeah I mean Julia Louis-Dreyfus not winning I, I honestly was quite surprised um just because she had won for all six seasons of Veep thus far if she had won this one last final acting win she'd be the sole leader in acting Emmys with nine Obviously, she didn't, that was not the case. And it was kind of funny. I mean, the reception in the room was a little quieted or exasperated, you know? Mm-hmm. That's despite the fact that everyone's pro Fleabag and loves Fleabag, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and all that. So uh, definitely didn't see it coming. But I'm, I'm obviously happy about the development. Veep and JLD don't need any extra ad- adulation. <laughs> As we know, they're, they're fine. Those uh, spots in the Hall of Famer are, are, are uh, written in stone already. So yeah, it's all good to spread it around. Yeah, it's it was interesting to um, to hear. I think Phoebe's uh, excitement and her surprise as well. I think she um, probably expected Veep to take it home, uh, but she's just a delight. Every time she she talks and is like, she's so genuine and, and just mm-hmm. the way she goes about things is she's incredibly charming. I find, um, and I've I've come so far on her from where I I fell on her with Solo. Where I felt her voice work right. as the robot, I didn't, I didn't really love, and now I'm just like huge Phoebe Waller stand over here. Right. Um, 
but yeah, Julia Louis Dreyfus, she'll she'll get that acting uh, Emmy at some point. I have no doubt. I I don't think Veep is the last thing she'll do. I'd be incredibly nah, surprised. I don't think so. She's not that old. No. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised by a lot of the winners last night. Um, and there were a lot of moments, you know. Um, one that really stood out for me was uh, uh, Jarrell Jerome winning oh, yeah. for When They See Us. And uh, the room and the the excitement and the support in the room was just really overwhelming and awesome to see. And that felt just like an, uh, a great award show moment to see this this young person in this very uh, powerful piece of art being recognized um, and upsetting some some very uh, prodigious people in the category as well. Sure. So how did you feel about that moment? Any thoughts? Yeah, that was great. You know, didn't didn't know or didn't think of the Central Park Five, the Exonerated Five guys actually being there in the front. You could tell they were really uh, emotional about it. That's awesome. And mm-hmm. yeah, well, I, I expected when they see us to actually even do bigger and beat out Chernobyl. That was not the case, but I did feel like the Jerome moment uh, mm-hmm. was coming, and I think that that was great. Again, spreading it around a little bit, and uh, Netflix does not have the you know uh, lead series Emmy win still. But mm-hmm. uh, I think they, they couldn't be happier with how when they see us has, has done up to this point. So, yeah, that, that was great. Yeah. And then Billy Porter wins Best Actor in a Drama Series for Pose. Yep. Um, becoming not only the first uh, openly gay black man to be nominated, but then to win. Right. Pretty awesome moment. Also, also had a very, uh, uh, I was going to say awesome. I don't think that's the right word. Very cool hat. Looked reminded me a bit of a, a gravy boat, but I was digging it. Uh, I saw Cam a funny, <laughs> yeah, I saw a funny tweet that said you wouldn't want to be sitting uh, behind his left shoulder for this, uh, which is definitely true. Um, he had a really great speech. Um, I really liked Patricia Arquette's speech as well, talking about transgender rights and um, yep. Michelle Williams. I thought it was another great win, winning for a Best Actress in a Limited Series for her portrayal of uh, Gwen Verdon. Um, a lot of really, really cool wins. Uh, what, what else stood out to you, or what did you take away? Yeah, it's funny, because, uh, again, Arquette had won for Dana Mora the, the past few years at the other award shows, but then she actually won for the act instead, so Michelle Williams actually would win for uh, Lead Actress in a Limited Series. So. Yeah, Michelle Williams definitely prepared to talk about uh, equal pay, something that she's kind of been at the center at the past uh, two or three years. And uh, I think that was great. And nice can kind of cap on, I think, the overall message of the show, Fosse Verdon, and how it was, you know, highlighting or want, highlighting Gwen Verdon and the shine that she deserved and didn't actually get in the moment. So this is, I think, a nice bookend to that. Um, you know, I think we had a uh, really kind of called most of those. I mean, like some of some of them, you know, like Bill Hader, cool, mm-hmm. like like to see that. Yeah. But uh, Patricia Clarkson did not yeah. win because because of Arquette with the act. That was that was a little surprising to me. Um, and then Peter Dinklage wins for Thrones. Thought that was uh, uh, pretty safe, as we said last week. And with uh, Julia Garner from Ozark beating out the rest of the Thrones ladies. Uh, Dinklage goes down as the only Thrones regular to win an acting Emmy, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I think they were a bit of uh, eating their own 
their own kind with uh, how many would be nominated in the categories, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but they did get the big award at the end of the night, um, which predictable a bit of, you know, for an awards night where there were so many really welcome surprises. Thrones, I think, was deserving it for the whole, whole of the show, but probably not for this particular season in general, especially because they, uh, the episode that they nominated for most of the awards was the finale. And, right. Uh, not Night of the Seven Kingdoms, which they should have picked. Right. <laughs> By far. Um, I, and Steppenwall actually had a great tweet about that, how he thinks that could have actually impacted the uh, the writing in a drama series category if they had. But regardless, I just also wanted to uh, shout out Jodie Comer. Uh, yeah, he, man. We talked about how it's probably going to be Sandra Oh, if anyone from Killing Eve won, but now that people recognize her work and rightfully so uh, right we, we can't say enough about her and then uh jesse armstrong won for comedy writing with uh or uh, drama writing with succession yeah which is an, i think a nice bellwether for succession season two come next emmys with thrones gone um you figure that big contenders next year would be thrones stranger things season three succession Maid's tale season three with succession so not not, uh, not thrones though Oh, sorry, sorry. Stranger Things, Handmaid's Tale, Succession. That's probably the, the big yeah. three moving forward. Um, but yeah, Succession, man. Then gain the moment with uh, Nick Braun, Alan Ruck, Sarah Snook, and Jeremy Strong all kind of getting hyped and looking like they were very in character yeah. for that win. And another cool little moment. Yeah. Uh, I have no doubt Succession's going to come on strong next year at the Emmys. Um, you know, now that Thrones is out of the way. And it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, we probably know, without any surprises, the top contenders for comedy as well are going to be Maisel and Barry. Um, yeah. you know, those are probably going to be the top two. Maybe another one will sneak in there. Maybe we get another uh, Natasha Leone and Russian yeah. Doll back. But that yeah, that's interesting. Much yeah, because we assume Fleabag uh, won't be back if, in time to, for next Emmys. And Good Place is ending. Veep is ending ended uh schitt's creek could return and yeah russian doll if that that turnaround is quick uh it was renewed so yeah uh, so there could be some room for some new blood in comedy that's cool so uh, a lot to look forward to tv just continues to be uh, an amazing medium and the streaming wars definitely will play a part in that too but we'll obviously talk about later the streaming wars though continue to move forward in the latest peacock um, thought, thoughts on the name first, Dave. <laughs> Peacock. Uh, NBC's newest uh, streaming service that's going to be competing with the likes of Disney Plus. Uh, is Apple Plus? Is that what it's called? Robin Apple Plus? TV Plus. Apple TV Plus. <laughs> um, and now Peacock joining the fray, along with obviously CPS. Is that all access? Yeah. I can't keep track of all these. Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Peacock. Give me mm-hmm. your thoughts. Well, good name. Name. The name is something. <laughs> uh, I think I think Sepinwall had an interesting note that Am- it, Amazon is actually really called Prime Video. That's the name of the streaming service. But everyone just mm-hmm. called it Amazon or Amazon Prime. Will people just call it as NBC? NBC Universal, I don't know. Uh, Peacock, I mean, there's various nicknames you could assign to Peacock, both clean and, and not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at least it, um, 
it's a eye raising like a, like a Hulu or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not as super monotonous as a something plus TV plus, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we finally got the the info on on this service. We knew the NBC Universal streaming service was coming. Now we know it's looking to air a drop be available around April of next year, uh, leading in with the Olympics, which is a nice, I think, advertising platform just to really make people aware of this because people like me and you who are who are online understand this and see the news, right? But if you're not on Twitter and don't check trending topics, you might just totally miss these announcements to know this thing exists and you might actually need to rely on a commercial in six months to actually tell you that there's a new thing you can pay for. Um, but I, to be honest, once you, once we, now, now that we actually know what's in this, and we, frankly, we know a lot more about Peacock than we do about Apple TV Plus, I think it, um, it is a solid, solid slate of, of stuff, both new and old. And well, we don't actually know the, the, the price yet, but I think it's one of the better values as far as streaming options are, given the, uh, really the backlog of existing IP that it has. Uh, what did you think about the, the slate? Well, so the, the slate is interesting. You know, it's going to be it's going to have exclusive rights to Parks and Rec and The Office, two of the biggest comfort TV streaming mm-hmm. uh, properties that are out there, along with Seinfeld, which will be joining uh, Netflix in 2021, and um, Friends is on HBO. Friends, right? So that that's intriguing. They also have Thirty Rock, Downton Abbey, which we're not going to yeah. talk about today, but you know, obviously has a big fan base yeah it's a it's a stacked it's really a a stacked set of back back shows yeah along these lines cheers frazier will and grace psych the whole snl library friday night lights yep i mean these are popular shows yeah um to be honest though uh what probably intrigues me most is the some of the reboots and not necessarily in, in a good way um they're going to be rebooting Say by the Bell, The Office, Battlestar Galactica, and Punky Brewster, which, right. first of all, who gives a shit about Punky Brewster in 2019? I don't know. IP. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, Battlestar Galactica out of those three is the one that I am most excited for, only because Sam Eshmael's attached to it at right. this point. And uh, right now, I'd probably trust Sam Eshmael with my life. Um, Indeed. You know, waiting for Robot Season 4. Then also Watchmen dropping. It's Eshmael season's approaching. Um, Say by the is Bell. He, he's not involved in Watchmen, is he? You mean Homecoming? Homecoming, yes. I'm sorry. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Say by the Bell could not care less about, especially because the uh, the what what's been thrown out there about is that Zach Morris is now the mayor and is shutting down schools and forcing uh, underserved schools people from them to. Go to the, the better schools. Interesting. So like throw people together. Don't care. <laughs> so then it comes to the office, which why remake the office? You have the exclusive rights. You don't need to remake the office. It's the, it's the type of thing that needs to either be really really good, or even mm. if it's just okay, people are still going to shit all over it. So right. it just feels like a no win move. Yeah, I think from a quality perspective, a satisfying a fan's perspective, it's probably uh, a low chance for success. But I think saying we have the new Office reboot and the only way to watch that is to subscribe to Peacock is really all they care about. Because then when you subscribe, you're like, ah, damn, this was disappointing. 
oh, wait, all these other shows I already watched but really like are on here. Maybe I'll keep paying. I think that's their whole calculus. Because a new Battlestar Galactica show with Sam, which is just a, a, a new take, not, not a sequel or anything, that's not going to get people to sign up for stuff. That's just one thing. You know, it's like the Apple TV Plus slate. A lot of that stuff sounds interesting, but it depends about what everything else you have is. And all those shows we mentioned, I think, have been, I think we know they've been dominant on streaming, whether they're on Netflix, Hulu, wherever they previously lived. And I think what's interesting about Peacock is a lot of those shows we mentioned, not all of them will be exclusive to Peacock. And a lot of those shows have TV syndication. That's not just going to end like at the drop mm-hmm. of a hat. So um, I really think it's about, it has to be about the overall library and using something as headline grabbing as an office reboot which we know would be Sans, Carell, and Krasinski, and everyone else, of course. Um, just having that as something you can tell people to watch, check it out, I think that's gotten kind of kind of their, their, their calculus there. I mean, they'll also have the Universal Library, so you have Fast and Furious and Jurassic Park, again, two massively populous you know, film franchises to add to the, to the pile. So it's uh, the price, I think, is interesting. It'll probably be, I think... Uh, like an Amazon HBO range. That's the idea. I think you also can get it bundled with cable. That was the talk. We don't know yet, but um, definitely on my IMP guy. Now, I personally don't plan to subscribe because, again, I'm describing all the value to old things. And I think the, the, the key thing will be, though, is we know how popular all these shows will be. Now, will maintaining access to these shows by paying something else actually matter? Or will the people that have watched these shows just kind of had them on in the background well, they just find something new on Netflix or Prime to watch instead. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when the convenience is removed to rewatch all these classics, will you go out of your way to rewatch something, or you find something else instead on the old old sites? Yeah, that's that's really the key thing. You gotta just see see how it happens. It's a good point. Where are you at in terms of that tipping point with subscribing to these streaming services? Like, what are you definitely going to get? Disney Plus, obviously. Uh, Netflix and Hulu. HBO, HBO, yeah, yeah. I, I, Hulu, I don't, I don't believe is essential at all. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's packaged with so many things. It's, it can, you can get it. The, you get the package with ESPN Plus and Disney Plus, as we know. But yeah, Hulu just doesn't have the, the, uh, you know, breadth of originals, and we still don't really know what Disney's true plan for what differentiates Hulu from Disney Plus is. Like we, we know it's gonna be more adult things, but we don't really know anything concrete yet. So what what Hulu becomes, I think, is still T V D. And Amazon, as we've said before, doesn't really matter in the calculus because people don't pay for Amazon to have Prime Video. Prime Video is just a tax dot perk. Yeah. Because people buy stuff on Amazon. So that that one doesn't <laughs> really count either. Right. So it's pretty much Netflix, HBO, and Disney Plus for you. Correct. Yeah, uh, this didn't really move the needle too much for me. So uh, Peacock, probably not something we'll be talking about too much, uh, unless that price is just right and the shows are worth we'll, it. We'll watch the Sam show, of course, but that has to come out <laughs> first. What yeah. ways away? Uh, life uh, finds a way. A universal property that will be on Peacock. <laughs> but why don't we talk about somebody else who seems to be finding their way in a different mm. sense. Amir Van. Dropping a surprise EP, Emmanuel. Um, yep. Give us a little bit of background uh, on Amir, since you're the the Brockhampton expert on this show. <laughs> yeah. So Amir just dropped a six track, sixteen minute EP 
as you said, this is his first uh, new music release since he was expelled from Brockhampton in May of 2018, following various emotional and sexual abuse charges from uh, various women he had uh, dated or known in the past. Um, and as we've talked about before with our discussions of Brockhampton's recent work, the uh, fracturing that his departure from the group caused for the band definitely influenced the sound and lyrical content and overall, I think, attitude of the band on Iridescence and Ginger, the last two records, which we both reviewed. Check those out, youtube.com slash pod. But Amir has always kind of been the thing where we didn't know anything about him basically went dark on social media after this and there hasn't been any criminal investigations or actual charges levied and while Amir did uh, deny any criminal wrongdoing he did accept that he had been uh, uh, emotionally uh, abusive and uh, had not acted in the, in, the, in, in the right way and then recently of course with Ginger Don McLennan on the song Dearly Departed lets out that Apparently, Amir had perhaps set up one of his friends to be robbed. And obviously, we knew that there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes with Amir and the band. And it wasn't solely the allegations that separated them. Either way, now he's back with some new music. Notably, I, I saw to me was this was released. Check on Spotify. It says it's under Winston Wolf LLC. Winston Wolf, of course, is uh, Harvey Keitel in Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. A fixer makes things go away. Uh, this is not on RCA. So Amir, who was part of that RCA record deal, Brockhampton signed clearly as a solo act, is not part of uh, that label or thus that uh, getting that money that way. But we have music. And I mean, I always was going to check it out regardless. I think um, it's okay to listen to uh, stuff like this, even if you have a problem with the artist. Um, you know, it is complicated, though I wouldn't uh, begrudge anyone who decides they don't want to listen to it at all, given the charges that Amir's fate has, has, has levied against him, you know? So, I mean, I feel mm-hmm. you can take that either way. It's really up to you. There's no, sh- I think, no shame either way. But Amir, you know, was someone who I did enjoy on, on the Saturation Trilogy with Brock Hampton. He's the face of those albums yeah. really on the covers, but his, uh, Natural talent as I think the best pure rapper of the group was pretty evident. He also had a, you know, he's a dark, gruff voice and just a, a low register that was a nice contrast to a lot of his other uh, bandmates. Now that we have him just being solo again, uh, that darkness is certainly present, and obviously we know why. Uh, but what did you think of the actual music? Again, it's only six tracks, uh, pretty quick stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a, a fair amount here, to be honest. Yeah, um, it grabs you immediately, and it's a sparse, stripped-down track, uh, the, the title of the EP, Emmanuel, yep. um, and it's just Amir talking about his emotional and psychological experience since everything's gone down, talking about having suicidal thoughts, questioning every relationship in his life, um, and it's pretty much just him over this really, almost like, the life of Pablo sounding thumping beat. Uh, sure. It actually reminded me of uh, the, the drums from wolves a little bit, you know, how like, kind of like, I'm going to fix wolves. Like you strip down the extra stuff. It's like, dong, dong, dong. It was just, it was really captivating. And from there, I mean, it just kind of, 
it kind of keeps that like thumpiness to it, but just kind of puts some some more gloss over it. And I really thought most of these tracks were really good. Um, I really can't pick one that I was like, eh, not that's not really a quality track. And I found myself more questioning, um, like the idea of like cancel culture with mm-hmm. uh, with this sort of thing. You know, I've been thinking about it a lot as a Patriots fan with Antonio Brown and all the allegations taken right. against him and how, you know, it's a civil suit and not a, not a legal suit and things like that. And, um, or a criminal suit, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's pro, it's problematic in a sense to back these people, but at the same time when it's allegations and people make mistakes, but we're, then they are human too. Like, where is that line of redemption? And when do we give people grace mm-hmm. and, and the opportunity to have redemption? It's kind of what I was left with after this album. Um, the music, I think, is great. What What did you like about the music? And then maybe give me some thoughts on canceling. Yeah, yeah. So there is a, a bit of a, a a barb at Brockhampton on here on Sunday night. He says a hit is supposed to stick up for their family, but we see they don't. Mm-hmm. And then later on, the track list on uh, Los Angeles. Uh, what does he say about yeah. losing his friends to L.A.? Mm-hmm. Something like that. That, and, that one seemed like the most Brockhampton new shot of all. Right. And I think a lot of people have taken a little bit of an issue with is Amir truly grappling with what he's done? Because I think more people would be open to him returning to music again he's like a 22 year old kid who hasn't actually been charged with anything Mm -hmm. what does he deserve or not whatever that may be if you own up and again he's owned up to a certain extent but i don't know blaming it on la i mean i think a lot of people want to hear him just truly use a lot of i statements (laughs) i did this this was wrong i'm sorry all that and Maybe he doesn't fully get there on this, but what he does get there is he does show you what a dark place he found. And I think you know, kind of getting that curtain pulled back for a guy who already can get pretty grim with his bars. Uh, it's just it's just kind of appealing music, man, because not a lot of people can be this introspective. So whether it satisfies um, people in terms of uh, a comeback, I think it really depends on the person. But uh We'll be hearing for more of me, that's for sure, because this is definitely going to, I think, turn some heads and he'll probably start to collaborate with people um, as more time passes. So uh, we'll be, I, I'm curious to see if we get any Brockhampton uh, shots on the album. You know, that I, I don't know if they would, they would venture into that um, stuff on the next record, but the story ain't over. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch, and I, I hope Brockhampton doesn't engage with it, but... Um... I wouldn't put it past him, I guess I'll say. Uh, why don't we move on to Brittany Howard, lead singer of the Alabama Shakes. Or was, or is she? Well, hiatus. She's, she's taking a break. Yeah. Um, after Indefinite hiatus. Could it be done? Is it over? Cer- certainly potential. Uh, after Sound and Color dropped, I believe in 2015. Been a um, while. And they toured uh, quite diligently after that. Last year, Brittany Howard told... Her other bandmates, she needed some time, needed to uh, kind of find herself in a sense. And she's a really interesting person, uh, identity-wise. 
She comes from a uh, a mother who's white, father who's black, raised in the South. Um, so being mixed race, also identifying as queer. Um, she's a really uh, fascinating person identity-wise. And then it comes to her music and her influences and uh, what she has, where she's taken the Alabama Shakes from. You know, when they first came up on the scene with their self-titled album, I believe it was. Uh, no, it was uh, Dogs and what's it called? Uh, oh shit from 2012 it's like a half hour long <laughs> yeah it was like more blues rock yeah you know it was more like uh black keys yeah hold on i'm pulling it up here um and, you know i had the hit song hold on on it which was this uh anthem that kind of called for, uh to, to the struggles of the modern person boys and, and girls. people in current society yes boys and girls um from 2012 to Sound and Color, which is this much more eclectic, uh, funk and soul driven, uh, acoustic slash indie yeah. rock record. It's very experimental. Yeah. And it, it was just really fascinating. It's such a jump. And it really felt like Britney was, um, putting her, her staple onto the band. And then to listen to Jamie, this debut album, a year after she announced the hiatus from, with the band, just is really exciting because not only does Brittany Howard have the type of voice that um, is distinct, but also so powerful and encap- like encapsulating of who she is as a person, I feel like. But she also just has this perspective on life at this point that I feel really makes this record and what she's trying to get across really, really engaging. How did you feel listening to Jamie? Yeah, um, it's funny because Sound and Color actually kind of took me back when I heard it just because it's, as you said, really uh, has a lot of influences from all over the place and it's a very experimental as a result. And I think it's it's kind of an album you kind of have to, to fall into and just kind of let it take you places because it's it's hard to put it into any kind of box. And at times, I I didn't quite enjoy Brittany Howard's vocals on that album, whereas I thought on the first record, Boys and Girls, because that was, I guess, more traditional, more safe sound of a traditional Southern rock. Uh, I kind of understood that music more and thus could like cause, could process it better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but having a little more space now, listening to Jamie, I think it is cool because you mentioned her voice, and obviously she's kind of the whole essence of the Alabama shakes as an act, sure. right? Like the front woman, the creative force, the face, the sound, all that. And now we have her basically bringing all of that again. Like this could have been an Alabama shakes album, I suppose. It doesn't sound that different as a continuation of what they've been doing, but I guess the creative control that she required to make this is really the main reason why she wanted to break away. But uh, sonically, you know, I think um, again, there's a this has a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of ups and downs or bobs and weaves. Mm-hmm. This shit zags a lot, but because her voice is so distinct, and she can do a lot with her voice, just when she's not being super showy. You know, it's not like like she's a good singer, but it's not like like an Ariana Grande of like five years ago where she would just be like, look. What, listen to me sing really, yeah. really well over my great you. voice. Yeah, yep. she never does that. And you just listen, like, I think you have like really nice headphones. I listen to Jamie or Sound and Call for that regard. You just hear the 
intricacy of the production and the overall, I think, enterprise of the songcraft is what kind of stands out to me. Um, I think 13th century metal towards the end of Jamie. Yeah. I really like just because maybe because it didn't sound like much of the rest of the track list, but it, it's just kind of like, like, like a jam, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's impressive stuff. And I was just going to ask you, is this the is this the rock release of the year? And in terms of like expectations, things people were excited for, there hasn't been a whole lot of like marquee big name stuff. Uh, we've you know, I mean, Rack and Tours, uh, Black Keys, but like, I mean, apologies to Big Thief's album next month, but like, is this like the biggest thing from a critical perspective? You know, um, critically, it might be. I think in terms of release probably be vampire weekend in terms of um just uh, i think that album has really grown on people and commercially their tour is they're they're just huge right now Um, right of course uh, you know i I think they'd probably be the biggest release also if tame impala ever does get an album out which i was highly anticipating and it just seems like they're just not doing it (laughs) um kevin parker is like nah not some but right (laughs) yeah Brittany Brittany howard this might be and the thing is, I feel like the the energy leading up to this wasn't really what I expected. You know, I, I mean, I saw a lot of places like music places talking about it, but in terms of like people talking about their excitement for this record, I feel like it kind of has just kind of stuck up with the people like, oh, there's a Britney Howard record. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting. And I think that also speaks to I mean, she's been in a couple other bands like Thunder Bitch and things like that. But that, uh, a country one as well. Yeah, um, but when the the band that you're most known for hasn't dropped a record in four years, um, and no matter how big you are, it, it's going to be hard to uh, to kind of I think capture that spotlight when you only have two other drops. Uh, Sound yeah. of Color was is obviously an amazing record and, and well received, but she just doesn't have the the rep yet. I think for people to say Brittany Howard's dropping a record now. We were tuned into it. Obviously, we're a little bit more tuned in than the average music fan. But I hope this is an album people find because I think songs like "Stay High," um, I thought "Goathead," which you know <laughs> talked about a lot of uh, racial, um, asked a lot of racial questions and rhetorical questions around race and hatred in the country. I think those are songs right. that are just so different, but just mesmerizing in their own way. And you mentioned 13th century metal. Which I think is actually her best, like vocal performance on it, and it's not mm. even her singing; it's her doing a spoken word song. And I think just the way that she delivers the lines and that 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 song is produced. It's basically like this crazy dr- jam session, this one take jam session with like the drums are just like driving the whole entire song, and it's really, really this amazing message about like doing your best every day to like push love forward and beat hate. Just feels like it encapsulates everything that she's trying to say and um i just i, I love this whole record so it's definitely i mean this will be on my top 10 at the end of the year for Ooh. sure um you know starting to starting to piece that together right um, a question for you actually now that we're bringing talking top 10s what rock record do you think would be closest to your top 10 Ooh, good one i was just going through everything we had talked about um better Bliving community center mm-hmm. Tool, uh, Bonnie Bear, if you count him. Um, yeah. 
Sharon Van Etten also a little bit. Um, hasn't been a whole lot we've talked about, though, because... Uh, shit, what is closest? I don't know, man. I, I, Bonnie Vera was my favorite Bonnie Vera album. Um, Lewis? Jenny Lewis? No, not probably not for me. Um, Vampire Weekend? I like Sunflower. <laughs> you do like Sunflower. Rackin' Tours, maybe? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Black Keys? Probably those two guys. Yeah. Black Midi? Ah, cool. that, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I oh, think it's... the purpose? Yeah, I think it's probably rock. those three. Yeah, the, the State of Rock... You know, go back to that. Not YouTube the national, video. that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, national aren't aren't really your bag. I feel um, certainly not. Uh, but yeah, rock rock right now just continues to move into a state of further and further obscurity. Um, you, even thinking about the releases of the last couple of years, like what the Arctic Monkeys release was a bit disappointing. Um, Foo Fighters, same thing. Yeah, so just not not a lot out there right now. Rock wise, at least from like the legacy bands that are really right. capture people. Maybe we should give that that Springsteen country album a listen. <laughs> I mean, February twenty first, we get another album from the nineteen seventy five, a group that is well known for making traditional rock music. So, fear what? not. On your best of uh, best song list last year, right? Load if we made it. Did it yeah. make it? I think, I think so. it did. I think it made it. I think it it made it. And I'd love it if we made it to the next segment. Talking to Ad Astra. Uh, quickly, just want to get your thoughts. This might ca- catch you off guard a little bit. There's some news leaking about the, the newest Batman movie. Uh, Jonah Hill, rumored to be the villain. And Jeffrey Wright playing Commissioner Gordon. Quick thoughts. I mean, Jeffrey Wright's a uh, fucking talent. Yeah. That's a nice fit. I like that fit a lot. Um Again, clearly separating themselves further and further from the uh, Ben Affleck iteration, Jeremy Irons, who I thought was fine for what he had to do. Um, Just throwing that all away. That's cool. Yeah, this is interesting. This is from Variety. Jonah Hill eyed for secret role opposite our paths. I mean, Jonah, who I'm a huge fan of, Mm -hmm. talent general. We talked about mid-90s directorial debut, but we know he's he's, he's a screen talent first. is he gonna be a penguin? He's is not he fat gonna... Jonah Hill anymore. That's... He's not fat. He could really be anybody. Yeah, it's a good question. I would... Not I... Black Mask, we figure, because that's who Ewan McGregor's playing in uh, Birds of Prey. Uh, oh, yeah. he's hearing Jonah Hill might be playing the Riddler. How about that? I like that's that. That's a nice. I like. That's cool. I was gonna say it has to be something a little more psychological. I was thinking maybe Scarecrow or. The Riddler makes a lot of sense because, especially after he was in that Netflix show last year, I'm blanking on the name. Clayface. I know Clayface could be a ah. cool, cool under the radar pick. Um, I mean, I trust Matt Reeves with this because DC has shown over the last few years that they will let their directors cook and do what they want, mm-hmm. and that means it's not as congruent as the MCU. But frankly. I don't need a second MCU. I like something a little different. We're excited yeah. to talk about the Joker soon enough. That's not even connected to this at all. Cool. So, yeah, it sounds like it's a developing story, but uh, I'm with it. I'm definitely with it. Uh, moving on to Ad Astra, though. James Gray, last movie we reviewed by him, The Lost City of Z. 
uh, a movie we both really liked. Yeah, um, 2017. Ad Astra seems to be, uh, is by far his uh, biggest movie. Uh, yep. Made 19 million at the box office this weekend domestically. Um, pretty, a pretty interesting film. You know, there was a lot of buzz around this. It was being pumped on the the NFL weekend shows and things like that, and really this drive. It's funny that a show that a movie like this was being marketed to these NFL, like the typical NFL fans, because I don't know if this is the type of movie a typical NFL fan would go and leave super uh, yeah. jazzed about. Um, the, the Martian, this is not. Yeah, certainly <laughs> no not. Um, I, I mean, I think it's easy to think, oh, it's going to be something like The Martian or Interstellar, but no, this is a, a much more uh, a much more interesting film in terms of the themes and the questions it asks. I think about humanity, about um, relationships, but Maybe a place to start is, did you like Ad Astro? Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I've um, seen mixed, mixed uh, replies. It only has like a 48% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, again, I think that that's in line with expectations. I think a lot of people have seen this as their first James Gray movie, mm. you know? Yeah. And it's about digging gravity or a Martian, as we said, but it's not that. And... Uh, something this cerebral is inherently not going to be for mm. everyone, whether it's in space or on the ground. Uh, but I, I mean, shit, it's kind of in tandem now for me with High Life, another cerebral space film with Robin Pattinson. It also involves reporting to a uh, a uh, narrative voice that speaks to you, which is kind of a funny connection. But yeah, I mean, this is in my top five for sure. I'm wow. just still trying to sort where exactly it would rank. Um, that, that'll certainly change, but yeah, uh, I, I was I was pretty blown away. I thought the movie was really effective, and I think it explores a lot, which we'll continue to talk about. But also has a slew of stellar visuals, a lot of set pieces, which are pretty rare. They're not a lot, but a fair amount of set pieces, certainly more than you expect from James Gray movie, and also amazing performances. I think Brad has just concluded a stellar year for him. Uh, he hasn't acted in two films the same year in a long ass time, and between Roy and Cliff Booth, this is definitely one of his best years. Obviously, but Ruth Nega in a small role on Mars doesn't have a whole lot of time. I think she really leaves an impact, and of course, Tommy Lee Jones actually gives I think a really committed performance, mm-hmm. which is nice to see considering you know he, he's been up there in age. He's been collecting some checks recently, but I really liked him as well. Um, and even small role for Donald Sutherland, I thought he w- he was mm-hmm. fantastic. Another guy who I haven't seen try and attempt a whole lot recently in his older age. But yeah, in short, a huge fan. What did you think? Yeah, I really liked this film. And you know, I think my expectations going in and and what it ended up being made it uh, a little bit harder to sit with at first. But the more I sat with it, the more I felt like this was a movie that could have been made by Barry Jenkins. Um, I think that's really what I really liked about it. The coloring the way that the, the scenes were shot. Um, the one image I think that sticks in my mind the most is there's a scene, and I can't remember exactly when it was in the movie, but it shows like Brad Pitt with uh, his helmet off in the space costume. And it's like this yellow light that like mm-hmm. slowly like fades up to like blackness, like right above him. And like just the way that that shot, I'm like, this is one of the most gorgeously lighted, colored 
fil- uh, film movies of the year by far. And yep. um, I think as a piece of art, it's really good. I think as a story, it's a little up and down only in terms of uh, it, there are some really some points where there's not much going on. You're kind of just sitting with either what what just happened, looking forward to mm-hmm. whatever's happening next, and it can feel a little dull at points. But overall, I thought Brad Pitt was phenomenal. Maybe some of the most emotionally engaging yeah. work I can remember Brad Pitt doing, which is, I think, uh, pretty amazing to say at this point in his career that he's, he's still got more to show us. And that scene where he's, he's talking to the microphone and goes yep. off script is just, I mean, that... To, to steal from another movie he was in, that might be some of the best acting I've ever seen. So, <laughs> some good shit right there. Yeah, I think ev- everything on Mars was awesome. Production design, too, was was really great there. Um, I mean, just that or- that orange uh, yeah. audio booth looked awesome. But even when Ruth Nega comes into the room and the way she's in the middle of the frame, the door is closed behind her, it's perfectly centered, looks awesome. Um, and even leading up to before that, everything on the moon, you know? Having a industrialized, commercialized moon in the near future could have been really hokey or gimmicky, but it's not. You know, he's just, it's kind of another subtle comment by Gray about, you know, what's what, what, like the throwaway line from Roy about how it's like the moon's just like Earth. It's nothing, nothing's changed. We destroy everything, right? Mm-hmm. And then they go from that to this, I think, fucking really visceral chase scene on the rovers as he's going to the dark side of the moon. Yeah, when they're shooting these like pressure guns, not totally sure exactly what kind of ammunition was going on there. Doesn't matter. It looked no. great. <laughs> it, you know, that, it was amazing awesome. to see the the set pieces that really capture you. Whether it's right right from the get go, Roy falling off the satellite as it's going through the oh surge. God. What a thriller! Opening, yeah. or going to the the space rover chase, or. The, the rescue mission on the SOS ship um, with the, the apes, or even yeah. when he finally finds his dad. Um, there's like barely any music behind those. And the fact that they were able to make this movie as engaging as it was with how minimal it was in terms of sound and music to kind of drive that emotion was just really, I thought, uh, phenomenal and impressive in terms of filmmaking um yeah you know going back to what you were just talking about in terms of like the the moon thing it's got me thinking about a piece of like a running thing throughout the film that i thought was an interesting commentary on maybe modern society or modern mental health but Mm -hmm. how they kept using the the psychological checks as a way of almost like controlling roy um and when he finally starts to like when he's like going against what they want him to do, he's failing the psychological checks all of a sudden, you know, but when he's openly talking about like, what's the purpose of life? Like I'm so alone. Like I, I hate right. all this. They're like, you pass your psychological check. And it's like, <sighs> like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting and, and thought provoking right. piece of it that I think adds a lot to Roy as a character, but also kind of the state of the world at that point. Right. And, Honestly, it's like the closest analog to this movie is First Man, which is based off obviously yeah. real events. But mm-hmm. both movies are very introspective with their lead characters in terms of like processing like hero myths. And I think in that Astra, it's almost doubled up because you have this guy who's compartmentalizing everything about his life 
and you learn that and you know that about him, then once the plot actually advances and things change and suddenly he can't do the one thing we've been told is his like superpower, right? Mm-hmm. It works really well. And just I think the overall like comments about like motivation and like finding purpose, whether you're well known or not, and then I guess processing uh when things let you down, in this case the knowledge of your the true true nature of your father in this movie um mm. i think it all really lands for me it's uh it's just really funny because man you mentioned like the football advertising it seems like some of the antagonism towards the film is like calling it just another bro space movie which just doesn't make any sense to me because mm. this as you said the movie this is the movie that bros won't finish because it's yeah. it's too dull for them right like i just i don't see how you can watch that and have that be your takeaway um I think it's fantastic character work, and yeah. uh, you know it kind of ends quickly, like most great movies. But uh, I, I think it, most people that are liking the movie say that they're it's sticking with them. They're thinking about it a lot after seeing it, which I think is uh, kind of a testament to just how much the movie's attempting to explore with its characters. So yeah, yeah I think well, it, it's awesome. What were the themes that you are left thinking about or sitting with most since you saw it? Yeah, I think like the the, the whole aspect of of the hero and how mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones is someone who the government or NASA, whatever, secretly would dis- disavow, doesn't support, but has propped up and lied about for years for the sake of their own propaganda, success, whatever, right? And then having Pitt, Roy, his, his son, come up in that shadow and be everything they want. I saw someone describe this as this, uh, Roy's initial character as a advertisement for the Space Force. Mm-hmm. He's everything you would want in that, right? But then having that be deconstructed as Roy basically goes on this journey alone to kind of learn for himself that, that, uh, everything he's been told is not true. Uh, I find that really effective. And I think, I mean, the fa- the fathers and sons aspect of it all. I know that, that probably lands better for people that are actually fathers or sons. I imagine, but um, I don't know. I, I thought I thought it was really warm and the emotional beats that uh, Roy has towards the end um, mm-hmm. that really landed for me. So, like I said, I think it's a really effective, effective movie. Yeah, I, I think the father and son relationship obviously hits home. Um, obviously if you're a father and son but (laughs) beyond that i think i think the ideas of like loneliness and vulnerability um are probably what i'm sitting with most just Mm -hmm. in terms of you see roy as some of the most crucial moments like have small flashes back to live tyler um right who also for not getting to say anything in the film except for like i'm leaving or something like that um i i I remember her probably more than almost any any other of the the bit people in the film. Like I think right. about Liv Tyler scenes more than I think about Donald Sutherland scenes. Hmm. I think it sure. just means so much more to who Roy as a character is, um, and what he's really grappling with is this like desire to be this like perfect space astronaut, or space explorer, live up to what his dad wants, you know, or, or, or dad was, and then um, what he has to sacrifice to get it. But what he really wants is just to to be seen and 
understood and accepted by this person who is pushing away and it just really um just a really thought-provoking film i think there's so much you can take away and so many ways to see it um i'd really recommend if if you enjoy a tour films um and films that are just moving and thought-provoking go see ad astra um i have a feeling we'll definitely be talking about it for a couple of oscar nominations do you think pitt will earn a nomination for this role yeah, so that's the thing. Obviously, he'd be going up for lead actor with that Astra and supporting for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in the mix. I, I think a Cliff Booth nomination's probably more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a Fox movie that Disney inherited. Uh, it was initially slated to come out in, in, in May. Um, I think this is, this is a much better time for it to come out personally because it's not a summer movie, but. Will Disney and Fox campaign for it? It's not a Fox Searchlight movie. They already have their own Oscar expertise. Um, tough to say. I, to his credit, Pitt did say last week, to, I think IndieWire, that he doesn't plan to campaign for either performance, which some people read as a admission that he is looking to get get one of those. That would be nice. I don't know. Um, I, I'd say he probably doesn't get nominated for this. Um this movie's probably going to be a little underseen, which I think is kind of going to hurt against it. Like it's gross forty-five million worldwide, but the budget was eighty before marketing. It is an expensive movie. Um, that might get held against it. Tough to say. Um, this is one of those movies as an adult drama that Disney inherited. It would be nice if more people would support this movie in the theater to show that there is still an audience. For adult dramas again this is still about space in the future and stuff but um if you want disney to actually finance those movies once the fox movies are gone uh, astra probably shouldn't lose 30 million bucks so let's see <laughs> no i i completely agree I, I would love to see picket the nomination um obviously without seeing the other films that will be up for contention yet but I think Cliff Booth seems more like what he'll get the nomination for. People have really taken a lot from that performance, um, which is also a pretty subdued pit performance in right. terms of what he gets to say. So doing a lot with uh, not not a ton to go off of, which is just speaks to his quality. Um, and his career as an actor is really interesting at this point, just thinking about how he kind of came up as like this pretty face and like sex symbol, yep. turned into this mega star with... Aniston and Jolie and everything yep. with that and now it's moved into this new phase of his career where he's this awesome actor I, I love that that scene uh or that interview where he's doing with Margot Robbie and he's talking about or she says she hasn't seen Midnight in Paris <laughs> and <laughs> right. he's like oh my friend you must see it or something like that the way he says it just like major Brad Pitt <laughs> vibes this year so um that, I'd love to see it James Gray I also would like to see get a nomination but um, I don't know if this right. will be it for him or not, but yeah, definitely moving in the right direction. Upon re- re- refreshing my memory of who's who's in the mix, I mean, we have Leo, Adam Driver, Marriage Story. Mm. Sound feels like a lock at this point. We have uh, Damon or Bale in Ford vs. Ferrari, depending on how they run that. Joaquin, Sandler, Banderas, Price. Yeah. And Sandler, I think. Ruffalo, De Niro. Wait. Ed Norton. There's a there's a ton of ton of hitters in this category, so I think I think Pitt will probably be happy with just the just just for Cliff, which I think is very likely. 
Oscars are going to be fun this year. Um, yeah, definitely. Go see Ad Astra. What are we watching next week, Dave, or listening to? So we'll be seeing uh, Judy, the Renee Zellweger uh, vehicle. Oscar buzz for that performance about uh, the late life of Judy Garland. And perhaps Jesus is King, the new Kanye LP is out. Who the fuck knows if that's actually that thing. <laughs> if, it, if it is, it will be there. Uh, Young Amay, though, is dropping her album, uh, her debut album, two years later. She's been slow cooking this. I'm excited to see that. One of the best uh, bar for bar New York rappers there is. And then The Politician's dropping on Netflix. That's the first of the Ryan Murphy Netflix shows starring Ben Platt. We'll talk about that probably in a week or two. And then, I mean, Sturgill Simpson's dropping, if that interests you. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, so that's that's the main focus for now. More to come, you assume? Absolutely. And uh, go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod to find all the ways to catch us as we talk all that next week. Also go to YouTube and follow us there. And give us a five-star rating review on iTunes. We'll see you next week. Yeah.